Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 124, and I sat down with uh, my dear friend, Andy Renfrey. And this is a trigger warning episode. We talk about some pretty intense stuff. So, uh, about sexual assault and, and the like. So, uh, if that is an issue for you, I just want you to know that that is, is what we talk about. So important to mention that. Uh, we had a really open and honest conversation and uh, I really appreciate that that she was willing to come on the show and talk about her experience. I have a bit of a, I, I just got Invisalign braces. This is not a plug, this is just a fact. And uh, the dentist is fixing a couple of uh, wacky teeth I have going on and a jaw thing, and uh, my jaw alignment's a little off. There's probably way too much information that you don't really care about, but um, that's, so I think I've learned that uh, in the episodes, it's probably best to take the trays out. That's Invisalign, it's like these tray things. And uh, this episode in particular, I have them in, and so I am a little lispy. Uh, just FYI, that's what's going on there. And I have since learned that it's probably best to not have them in while I'm talking. So uh, four months with these guys and then I won't need them, which will be great. Uh, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So in other news, um, social media stuff, Hey Human Podcast. I'm also under Susan Ruthism for my personal social media stuff. And uh, what else? You can email me, Susan, at heyhumanpodcast.com. And we had a little uh, kerfuffle this past week with the website, um, little confusion and an upgrade, and the site was down for a hot minute. So I apologize for those of you who went looking for the, for the website and it wasn't there. It is all back and operational again. It was, I don't think it was for very long, but it was long enough to cause a panic for me <laughs> um, and shout out to actually Andy's husband Ren Renfrey who is uh, who helped me get it all back together again and uh, he he designed the website in the first place um, and so he helped me I called him up and said oh my god something is is wrong the website has vanished and uh, thankfully he uh, he immediately rose to action, so that was really great. You can rate and review Hey Human on iTunes, which is wonderful. Please do that if you have a moment. Uh, and email me, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com if you have any commentary or there's somebody that you know that you think would be a great guest. I'd love to hear from you. Um, Amazon Portal is on the heyhumanpodcast.com website. When you shop Amazon and you do so through the Amazon portal, it helps support Hey Human, as does the support button on the HeyHumanPodcast.com website. There's a, under the store, there's a button that says support, and any, any support is welcome, obviously. Uh, links page on HeyHumanPodcast.com, I try and keep that as puffed up as possible, lots of information and resources. And uh, I've got some really exciting interviews coming up. I'm going to be taking a trip to Los Angeles. Thank you, everyone, uh, for listening and being supportive. And I just, I'm in constant awe of the growth of this show and your support and the love. And it's just wonderful. And I'm a lucky person. I really am. And uh, 
can't wait for next year. There's just more and more coming, and it's just, uh, I am, I'm a happy girl. All right, uh, thank you for listening, and here we go. Andy Renfrey. Hi, Susan. Welcome to Hey Human. <laughs> Yay, finally. <laughs> How are I'm excited you? to be on this podcast. Oh, I'm excited to have you on this podcast. <laughs> I've watched it grow. Yeah. And I'm super excited for your success here. Thank and you. Thrilled that you asked me to be on it. Heck yeah. Absolutely. Heck yeah. Um, well, I've wanted to have you on the show for a long time because of uh, a story that you told me once, an experience you told me. It's funny. I don't like to use... I was thinking about this the other day. I don't like to say your story because it sounds like it's a fabrication right. to me. So I think experience... Sure. I feel like I'm... Lis- I just got braces, you guys. Invisalign <laughs> braces. This is not a plug. I had some uh, teeth stuff. Uh, and so I got... And so now I feel like I'm lisping. So if I sound different, that's why. Anyway, okay. moving on. Uh, <laughs> I'm very hyper aware of it. Uh, the idea of an experience versus a story. Even though right. I know we all have our stories. And, and, right. and that's even the tagline of, hey, human, of course. Every mm-hmm. human has a story. Um, but... When it comes to things like what we're about to talk about and trigger experience warning, experience is a better yeah. experience is a better word. And this this episode is definitely um, could be triggering. So it is just to keep it's triggering it, for me. So yeah, sure it is for others. And I really appreciate that you um, are here to talk about it because because I think it's something that needs to be talked about. But we'll get into it. You mm-hmm. know. So someone called me a victim the other day and I had to correct him and I said, you're a "I'm not a victim. I'm a survivor." Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's an, a moral obligation for those of us who make it through something like that, because if we don't stand up and say something, if we don't show people what it looks like on the other side mm-hmm. of what they're going through, it's easy to lose hope in yeah. the middle. I, I agree. I agree. Um, I like the word survivor a lot. Me too. So before we get into that, let's get into you a little bit. Okay. Um, what's your background? My background, well, um, I was born into a military family. My father was 28 years Mm. in the Air Force, and um, Vietnam started, the conflict started the year I was born, which was 1959, and in 63, of course, President Kennedy involved the U.S. in it, and my dad uh, was a flight engineer on C-130s, which meant that he was with the Strategic Air Command. There's two types of bases. There's SAC, Strategic Air Command, and there's TAC. uh, tactical air command one is the support group and the other is the fighters Mm -hmm. so my dad was in the support group so what he did was he shuttled things back and forth to uh, Vietnam Mm. Uh, troops uh, supplies what have you and so our family moved to Okinawa in 1964 so it was my first experience living in a foreign country I had my first sushi that year and I love. You were the, way ahead of the, the I curve. was way ahead of it. I, I someone says seaweed, and it's like Pavlov's dog. I start drooling, drooling instantly. But um, were you I've a close lived family? in family. Uh, we were, but my dad wasn't in the picture a lot because oh. the way that it worked was he would be gone five months, home three months, gone two months, home one month. I mean, there wasn't a consistency depending upon where he was being sent. How did that shape you, just as a woman with a? a father you know what I mean yeah I totally get that yeah I longed for him I was very very close to him before we moved to uh, Okinawa I was daddy's girl which is why I'm called Andy Mm -hmm. by the way I was daughter number two and then uh, there was three of us then a boy then another girl and 
So I was his little sidekick, and I grew up as a tomboy, and I really missed my father's presence. He He's the one who gave me my love of words, my love of laughter. Besides my mother's Cajun family, they were cray-cray. And he taught me how to draw. He brought me into visual arts when I was a very young kid, so I was super close to him. So he was a sensitive sack. Yeah, he's hilarious, too. <laughs> Not he's, a sad sack, a he's, sensitive he's sack. He's 84, and he's still he's hilarious. I yeah. mean, you can't be around him and not love him yeah. you know and people say I'm like him so I had a beautiful mother and a funny cool dad and I kind of take after my dad but uh, I really really uh, oh I you're quite him. beautiful too oh, so yeah. I would say you <laughs> split down the middle there I'm split <laughs> but anyway so that was basically my childhood and their marriage didn't survive mm. the separation it was hard on my mother she didn't drive and she had Every time he'd come home, she'd get pregnant. So there ended up with five of us, you know, and she was like going crazy. And so um, they got divorced when I was 11. And then um, a year later, my mother married a man that we did not know at the time was an abuser. And uh, so I went from this loving, funny, quirky, cool dad to this glowering, threatening presence, male presence in my life. And that's that's a whole nother story. But... Um, I didn't have much of my dad in my life after that, his presence. Did you, did you tell your dad about this other guy being like that? Yeah. There, it came to, what, usually what I found through this whole experience is that um, the person who, I would consider him a sociopath. And the dad, the, the stepfather. Mm -hmm. Yeah, his name was Richard. And he courted me before they got married. I was his sidekick. He taught me how to work on clocks and cars. He took me hunting. I shot my first bow and arrow with him, my first guns. So he really got me to love and trust him. And then when they got married, he took that and used it against me. And if I made a mistake, it started out with a slap or with a, a hit. And next thing I know, I'm hiding my face as he's hitting me with a belt up and down my body. And, uh, and one night it came to a head and uh, he um, punched me when I had a fork in my mouth. I was taking a bite of food. I made the mistake of crying at the table. And uh, I came to in the den from the dining room and then he drugged me by my hair into my room and stood me up and punched me in the face and broke my nose. And I called my dad at that point. He was just fixing to go back overseas. so. I, I tried to be with him, but his job, of course, was preventative of, you know, someone uh, taking care of a child because you're, you know, you're, mm -hmm. you're belong to the government. They call it GI, GI yeah, government, government issue. issue. Yeah, sure. So um, I ended he, up moving to Louisiana. But you told him, did you say, hey, this is happening? Or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, he found out that night after everything kind of came to a head. What was your mom doing during all this? Was she being beaten as well? No. I was the only one, and that's... Not even the other children? That's sociopathic behavior. They target one kid at a time, and he said it was a personality conflict. Wow. And then my mother sent me away uh, when I was 13 uh, to live with her family in Louisiana, and then my stepfather started targeting another child. How long until your mother left him? My mom stayed with him until 1979. So it's, what, a decade? No, almost, well, 72 to 79, seven oh, years, yeah. she stayed with him. Wow. He moved, I, I lived in Louisiana for two and a half years, and during which time um, I tried to run away, uh, went to the wrong person, ended up getting drugged and uh, raped, 
by someone that actually ended up being a family friend. And um, I had a nervous breakdown that year. And, uh, How old were you? I lost it, 14. Jesus. And I was, we, so this whole thing with uh, Dr. Lord really hits home for me because at 14, I was not brave enough to really face what I had to do. And no, I don't think many 14 year olds no, are. <laughs> I really lost it. Um, yeah. We took him to court and at the hearing, as soon as I saw him, I got hysterical. And he would show up at my middle school and stuff. So, he I mean, he, so you did challenge Yeah, your I did, but I, and... the judge saw I wasn't prepared and he said, his name was Judge LeBlanc, I'll never forget. And he said, this baby ain't ready to handle this, y'all. He said, this child needs some help, and her mental health is more important. And I really thank him for that because I had two years court-appointed counseling. Mm. And did that the, really saved my life. Did that guy go to jail? No, he never did. So he's done it again, I'm sure. I don't know. But um, I do know that uh, he was ostracized by family. He lost his fiance. He paid a price. But, um, you know, it, it's one of those things that I can't go back and look at all the details right now because I, d I don't really know what, what happened to him. But all I know was the safest thing for me was moving forward because I became very suicidal. I cut myself. I overdosed. I tried to kill myself because I lost my tribe. You know, my whole everything, no matter where we moved, every couple of years I had my siblings, I had my mother, and suddenly... You didn't have anything. I didn't have anything. Well, and the consideration of you as yourself having a, you being a tribe unto yourself. Right. That was taken from you as yes. well. At that age, you don't even have yep. that sort of self-understanding or resilience no. anymore. Uh -uh, I just, Your he told me it was my fault and I believed him. <clears throat> because the thing was, don't make me do that again <clears throat> constantly. And I, um. Uh, I became very, very down on myself. I, I thought I was the root cause of all the troubles. Mm. And so why, why my mom, own mother sent me away, I, I felt rejected. Now, looking back, I see she was trying to save me in the best way she could. But my mother came from abuse, too, so I think that she just, that's all she knew. You, you stay and you tough it out or you send the person away. And Did she acknowledge that later in life to you, or is that something you intuitively felt? No, she never really acknowledged that to me. I'm sorry, I thought I'd turn this off. But um, I, I did get a chance to kind of clear the air with her um, back in, I guess it was 2001. Um, she came to live with me and my then husband um, in Houston area. And we actually talked about it for the first time in my whole life. And so I've, I had peace with her. Um, she died in 2006 in a car accident, so I'm glad that I had that time with her, you know, because for years, I mean, basically I had no mother. And I had no father for many years because Dad was in, you know, um, the Philippines and gone all the time and always living in a different part of the world than me. <coughs> So, you know, basically I was an orphan. That's how I felt my whole life. Did you marry an abuser? I married an alcoholic. Okay. And my stepfather was an abusive alcoholic. Yeah. And there's something to be said for thinking that you can fix someone. Mm -hmm. And that's a trap that I fell into. And the irony to me was that that happened, and then the thing in Louisiana happened, and then I ended up... Um, 
I tried to live with my family again. It lasted a few months. Um, and then my stepfather pulled a gun on me as a quote-unquote joke. And I told my family was fixing to move to Arabia. And I was 16 at that point. And I said to my mom, I can't go. And so she emancipated me at 17. She signed my emancipation papers. And a couple months later, I watched them get on a plane and leave the country. So I had, like, no fallback plan. <laughs> what was happening with your siblings at this point? Were you trying to help them, or was it sort of every person for themselves? Or? Well, at the time, I did not know what he had done to my brother. Okay. My brother didn't come out and tell me till years later. My brother was the next victim that he chose. But um, I think there's only one he never hurt. And, uh, but... When they got to Arabia, I mean, I was too busy trying to survive, so sure. I couldn't really... I, I was still trying to just heal from what I felt was rejection in my life. And How old were you when you got married the first time? First time I got married, let's see, I was 20... <coughs> I want to say 27? So there was no, 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 I was 24, 25. So between like 17 and 25, you were... In the Air Force. I went to the oh, military. Oh, so that was your... That was how you found a home. Right, because the, the thing about being in a military family is there is, it's a village. And so every time you move, you move to a village that's laid out like the village that you just left. And because the people who were in the sack bases moved from base to base, there were many times that I would go to school with the same person in mm -hmm. the first grade and then again in the third grade. And so you would see people again. <coughs> But, um, so that was really the only familiarity that I knew that I could reenter. And it, it felt good to me to get back into something where I understood how things worked and the perimeter and had that consistency in my life. So I'm really glad that I did go into the military. Thank you very much. Is that why you chose the Air Force in particular? Because that's what your father had served? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what I knew. And, um... Is your stepfather still alive? No. My stepfather, the last time I saw him was 1979, and I was able to walk up to him and tell him that I forgave him. How did he respond? He said, forgive me for what? And I said, you know, and I know. And that was the last time I ever saw him. And uh, I heard uh, that he actually, my mother left him that in 79, and... Um, the abuse rolled downhill and finally got to mom, and so she left. And So she didn't leave when her children were being beaten, but she left when she was being beaten. You know? Wow. That's... I had to really, really put it all into perspective because in order to have a relationship with her, I had to forgive. Yeah. All of her choices, all of her decisions, and believe in my heart that she did the best that she could, no matter how it affected me or anyone else. You know. She... So coming to forgive her... Did you forgive him first? Mm -hmm. I did. How did you come to that place? I think becoming a mother myself helped me to understand what it takes to be a parent. You know, parent is a verb, mother is a verb, father is a verb. It's not just a role, it's what you do. And when I realized what I was willing to do to save my kids, it taught me put myself in her shoes and think, you know, even if what she did hurt me, I have to believe that her intentions were better. And so that was one of the 
the good counseling tips that I got, you know, was like, don't judge from your standpoint, judge from their standpoint, you know. And so you learn to have a lot of empathy. And I'm an empath anyway, so mm -hmm. I really had to put myself in a place where I could have a relationship with her and love her in spite of her actions. Separating the person from the actions is so crucial, and too many people can't do it. And I'm really blessed that I had training in how to do that because it helped me later on in my life. Um, I think we were going to discuss what happened to me while I was in the military. We, we are, yeah. I want to get some background on yeah. you, though. So um, when did you start songwriting? Oh, my gosh. I started songwriting when I was 12. Okay. Did that help you through some of these processes? It did. Uh, just sappy poetry, and then <laughs> later on I started writing my feelings out as all this stuff started happening to me. And my dad is a wordy. He's a punster and a half. Oh, my God, he's hilarious. And so by the time I was eight, my dad and I were one line in each other, zing, 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 back and forth. So I learned a love of words. And I used to wake up sometimes in the morning, and I would sit at the table eating breakfast, and I'd say, Mom, what does somnambulism mean? And she'd go, huh? And I'd say, somnambulism. And she'd say, oh, my God, go get the dictionary. So that Christmas, I got my first Webster's Dictionary. Oh. And I Shout sat out, there Webster's. and read read through the dictionary and just absorbed words. Mm. And uh, words were my friend from a very early age. Did you have uh, many... Because I know as a traveling military kid, it's hard to uh, make new friends and, <laughs> and keep friends you have. Did you have any close girl or guy friends at that time? <coughs> no. My no. my siblings were my my tribe. Do you talk to them now about what happened then? Do no. they Do they even acknowledge it or do they lock it away? I don't know. Um, the few times that I have tried to talk to them about it, it just caused upset. Because, in fact, one of my siblings told, told me, well, we all have our own way of remembering things. So I knew that everybody had to do what they had to do to protect themselves, and that included me. Mm -hmm. And I was separated from them at 13, except for like maybe six to eight months of my life that I lived with them afterwards. So they went on and formed and tightened circled the wagons a little tighter and moved on as a unit whereas I was not in that unit anymore yeah okay so you enter um you enter military you enter the air force and you're excited about it yeah well the more background um when I was 17 I moved to Austin and um I struggled for a couple of years I uh I worked at as a waitress and did a few different jobs, but I wasn't thriving. And I lived in a boarding house run by a, an exotic dancer named Gina. Cool. And I've, <laughs> I mean, I've, that was interesting. I've lived in some cool places. It, it could have been a TV set. It was so funny. But eventually, um, I ended up with an alcoholic abuser. Hmm. And As a boyfriend. As a boyfriend. And I was living with him. And my wake-up moment came when he choked me out. Uh, one time, and uh, that was I think that was the closest I ever came to dying, because I remember everything going black, and, and I woke up feeling myself still shaking, and he wasn't even touching me, so I knew I was close, and I went, I'm done. I have to go somewhere safe, so I went into the military. So I think for some people listening, 
their question, and I think it's a question I've heard a lot being asked, <clears throat> is if you already had this experience, why even stay long enough to get choked out? And I think it's a really important question because I don't know that people really get what it's like to be in it. So could you explain a little bit about your state of mind or why certain yeah. things were acceptable until they weren't? I was actually, I, I've been writing about this a lot lately. Um, there's something that convinces you that if you could just do this, then something would be better. And then you love someone, but you dislike their behavior. And so I could love the person and his behavior hurt me. So I had to try to draw the two closer together. So I tried to help him out of love and he used that against me. Mm. And that's usually, I actually <coughs> was writing a song about this yesterday, about how men could see a woman like me coming from a mile away. You know, they, they knew there's a pheromone, I think, that you, you emit in the midst of this. <clears throat> and um, so I think somehow, People who have been abused before are often preyed on, yeah. preyed upon by abusers. They, there is something. Yeah, there is a pheromone. I used to be a landscaper, and I was studying to be an arborist, and I found out that when a tree gets struck by lightning and the bark is breached, the tree emits a pheromone that actually attracts bugs, and the bugs enter the breach, and they eat the cambium layer, which is a cinnamon-like layer between the bark and the heart of the tree, the heartwood. And eventually it causes deterioration and the bark will slide off. That's, about, that's how pine bark beetles destroy pines. And I think about people who have been damaged that way. We emit a pheromone that attracts something to us that damage you, damages you beneath the surface. And people who are predators can sense that about you. Mm -hmm. It took me a long time to get away from people like that. Yeah. And when I went into the military, I went to, um, I had taken uh, aptitude tests and stuff. And I think part of the reason why he attacked me so badly the last time is because he knew he was fixing to lose me. Because you were joining the military. Right. Yeah. And so um, th he was fighting me to try to control me. And, and this a, was a boyfriend, not mm -hmm, a husband. A boyfriend. And when I went in um, to go and do the medical, the recruiter took one look at me and the bruises on my throat and he said, you're not going back. And they give you a list of what you're supposed to bring in and I had none of that stuff and I'm like, I'm unprepared. And he said, I don't give a shit. You are not going back. So they shipped me from Austin down to San Antonio immediately. I never went back. And um, they issued me stuff that I didn't have and I really thanked that guy we're seeing like, I mean, if you see bruised handprints around someone's throat and you don't do something, don't you always wonder, you know, did they make it, whatever, and this guy made sure that I escaped that. You bring up a really valid thing too because, I mean, it's all valid obviously, but um, little children, for example, who wear long sleeves in the summer, that's a red flag, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are signs. Yep. And... uh those kids need us. You know, I was taught to hide someone. it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the abuse with my stepfather escalated. So when it first started, you know, I would hide in gym class to get dressed. I would go in the bathroom stall and stuff like that because I didn't want people seeing 
what I was going through. There's this thing about don't tell, don't tell, don't tell. It's be, it's here in the family. We don't talk about it to other people. And uh, That's I actually, why many people don't report stuff. I was writing a yeah. song called What I Didn't Know about somebody who was abused, you know, how, how they looked on the outside versus how they looked on the inside of their four walls. And I think that I had become very insular and very unlike myself, mm. you know, for a long time. Because yeah. I'm a bubbly, happy person. Yeah. And I think most people who meet me would never guess. You that know, you have that background? Yeah, because but I didn't so let it define me. So many of us do. Me. There's so much of it. It's so, it's an epidemic. It is. Terrible epidemic. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the news about the opioid crisis. I just tweeted about this the other day because I'm like, you know what? Yeah, that's a crisis. But guess what else is? A sexual assault is a crisis. And domestic, domestic violence, violence yeah. is a crisis. Affecting boys and girls, men and oh women. Oh my gosh, yeah. Well, my poor brother. I mean, yeah. I he probably, I don't know if he'll ever listen to this, but um, it he allowed it to define him in many ways, and I. I tried to help him later in life. He and I became closer, and I, I really tried to help, but sometimes there's this kernel of something inside you. It's like the princess and the pea, something that it's hard, and only you can feel it. <laughs> and you can't rest, you can't be comfortable until you expel that from your life. And it, it takes force to expel something like that. It takes digging beneath the layers to find what it is, even if it's a kernel of sand, you know, sometimes it's v that one little hard thing in your life that you can't seem to escape. Yeah, it's well put. So you are shipped off to begin the yep. basic training of the Air Force. I am. And when I went in... You were excited? I was. They give you an aptitude test, and I've always been the fixer. I, if something broke, I was the kind of person that could dismantle something mechanically and put it back together. I just understood the way things worked. Uh, toasters, toilets, it didn't matter. My dad wasn't there very much. If something broke, it was like, Andy, come fix this. So when I took the aptitude test, I matched, it was a joke because I matched it 98.6%. Uh, um, so it was like my fever, you know, thing. But it was uh, being an electromechanics technician. And he said, you match this, this much, so you can do this, or you can be a secretary. And I said, why would I want to be a secretary? He said, because there's only three other women in this job. Mm. So Not that there's anything wrong with being a secretary, but right. that's a huge difference. But my, my interest was in getting my hands on stuff. Yeah. I love to work on clocks and cars. I've always been that person. Which is that ironic gift also from your abusive stepfather. Right. It is, that's the other thing I think is important to point out is the, those who abuse us, they also, they give us gifts in that weirdly, in that I know. There, there are also bright moments. Oh, I loved him. Yeah. I loved him. And so when the abuse started, I was crushed because the loving man that I was looking forward to my mother marrying, I rarely saw him after that. Yeah. And I missed that relationship. And that's how there's a saying, the person who loves the least controls the relationship. <laughs> because the person who loves the most will do anything to repair the relationship. And the other person will keep you one step away, one arm length away, and you keep striving and trying to repair it, and you end up dancing in circles while they go their merry way unfazed by what you yeah. want. Yeah. So when I went into the military, um, it was uh, 1978, I went in December 12th, <coughs> and then um, you do 
your time at basic training, and then from basic training, you go to your tech school. So my tech school was in Wichita Falls, Texas. I was there for the tornadoes when they struck there, the worst tornado disaster in Wichita Falls history. I was there during that. I was airman of the month that month, so I actually got to go and speak on behalf of the base at many of the the places in town, and uh, I'll never forget that disaster. That was horrific. It, it wiped out probably eight square miles of that town. It was horrible. And um, after that, I went to Germany. I got stationed overseas. And I arrived in Germany in August, and then a guy, um, a drunk SP. What's the SP? Uh, security police or MP, security MP, police okay. officer. They're the ones at the gates who admit mm -hmm. people. They're the ones who search the cars. They're the enforcers on the base. Um, the women's barracks, there was, the women's dormitory was two floors above the post office. So everyone had access to the first floor. And then there were stairs up to the second and third floor, and you had to have a key to get in the door. Well, the doors were so poorly crafted, you could pop it with a clothes hanger. You could pop it with your ID, whatever it was. And this guy came into the women's. SP. <coughs> he was drunk. He came into the women's uh, barracks on the second floor, and um, he just went down the hall trying doorknobs. And my roommate was in Phoenix. And I was, I had strep throat and I had a little reading light next to my bed. So I was an avid reader and I was reading and I got tired and I turned off the light and went to sleep, not getting up to check my door. I, I had a false sense of security, I guess. And a light in my eyes woke me up and it was my refrigerator door was open. And as I came to, there was a guy with a stocking mask over his face standing over me and I went, what are you doing? And he said, shut up, bitch, or I'll stab you. First words. And that night was the first time I actually stood up to someone who was assaulting me. Because when you go in there, they give you rape prevention, quote unquote, and basically it's acquiesce and live. Do whatever they say and get yourself out of the situation and you'll survive. Well, I, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back for me. I'm not a real big person. You know, um, I did take some karate when I was younger, but I'm not really no, like, you're into tiny. martial arts. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty small. You are. And, and I'm actually one of the bigger women in my family. But um, when, when he climbed in bed with me and he started kissing me and groping me, he had something super sharp held behind me. I didn't know what it was. And everything, he told me to shut up, I talked more. Everything he said don't do, I did. And I flustered him because I could tell he was drunk. And I was on the um, second floor, so there were street lights higher than my window, and there was a tear in the top of my curtain where, that no one could see into my room, but the street lights always shone in, and it shone right on his face, and I just memorized. I mean, I've, I was an artist from a very young age, so I memorized every... But he had a mask, so you... He had to take it off to kiss me. Ew. He had to pull well, it off. Okay. And so... Did you know he was the security guard when you... No, I had no idea who he was. Uh -huh. I had never seen him before. He was a, a black man, too. And um, not that that makes a difference, but it was harder to see his features, I'll say that. But um, I just kind of memorized his features and kept trying to communicate with him. And he just kept telling me, shut up, and was pricking me harder with whatever it was that he was holding behind me. And as soon as he started entering me with his fingers, I went... 
fuck this. Pardon my French. No. I grabbed the hand. I turned around to see what it was he was holding me hostage with. And it was a C2 can opener on his key ring. I lost it. I shoved him against the wall with my forearm and I leapt to my feet out of that bed. And I screamed with all the pent up rage from everything that had happened to me from age 12 on. All of that rage just came out and scared the shit out of him. And instead of retaliating, <laughs> instead of retaliating against me, and I had strep throat, he leapt off the bed to get away from me and cracked his head open on my dresser. And all these little shot glasses that you get at the wine festivals, I had several of them, and they fell off and cracked open on the, the floor, and he was trying to get away from me. And he was, he was bleeding pretty good. He left bloody handprints, and I was right behind him, kicking him right smack in the ass. Every, did as anyone hard as come I could. running, or did they? Um, as soon as he got out the door, I was, I was a ball of fury. And as soon as he got out the door, I closed the door, locked it, and just slid to the ground, just hysterical, sitting in the glass and the blood and the tears. I mean, it was horrible. And then a few minutes later, I heard a tentative knock on the door because there was a trail of blood from my doorway out Jesus. as the guy ran. And um, they were like, are you okay? And apparently, some of the women thought it was a mountain lion. That's what my scream sounded like. I woke up every girl on my floor and the floor Did anyone me. call 911 or whatever the equivalent of that is? Well, um, yes, somebody <clears throat> called the police after. And then when the police came, um, I had to go through all that stuff. So the next day... Did uh, they believe you? Did, obviously there was telltale signs, but it, it was it's a, a weird military... Oh, it was very strange. So I told him what happened. I mean, there was bloody handprints on the floor. There was glass on the floor. I, my feet were bleeding. I was shaken up and... Um, I was so sick, and so they were like, can you describe him? And I said, give me a pen and piece of paper, I'll draw him for you. So I drew him. I drew his face, and they, um, that was probably 2 in the morning at that point. So um, they distributed the drawing. They did the copies of it, distributed it, and he went into the emergency room the next morning and said he had fallen in the shower. He had to have stitches, and the... Uh, they took him in and asked me to come identify him, and I did. And then um, that happened on October 10th, the night between 9th and 10th. And um, about two weeks later, um, I went off to sing with USO, and I was gone for several months, which I needed the space away from the base, because his friends, once they realized that I pressed charges, I got quite a different salute at the gate, I'll just say. What happened? Oh, they were flipping me off and coming after me, showing up where I was and saying, hey, bitch, you know, you're going after my friend. What, do, what would you do if I did this or this? Yeah, and several women that knew him accused me of lying mm -hmm. and saying, oh, he's a good man. What? Yeah, right. This is why this is <laughs> This is why problem. you have to separate the action from the people. Yeah. He may have been a good man, but he did a bad thing to me. Yeah. And... I would argue that no, he is not a good man, but he can pretend to be one. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I just wonder. said if you uh, violence against another human being in this way. Yeah, I I understand military sanctions a particular kind of violence out of necessity. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's what that is. I get mm -hmm. that, but this is something completely different. Yeah, it's so frustrating that, that that's yeah. that that's even a, a rhetoric. 
to me. At the trial, <laughs> they had several months to prepare for A damaged for person, perhaps. But yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I wouldn't go so far as to say good, personally. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> but anyway, um, but that's how other people saw him. Yeah. You know, but other people like my stepfather, too. Yeah. So anyway. They tend to be quite charismatic. Yes, and they do. likable. Well, I did not know him before that night. Mm -hmm. I, Ted Bundy, I always use as a great excuse. Oh, I know. Excuse, my gosh. One example. of the most charismatic evil people in, in America. But... Um, when I went to trial, what I was wearing was brought up, and he was saying I was wearing something silky and smooth. And you were in bed with this. I know. I had a Snoopy cotton t-shirt on, nightshirt on, and sexy. Uh, I was sexy. Snoopy and is hard to resist because I had stated that my refrigerator door was open. Part of his defense was he was looking for food. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was quite Snoopy doesn't trial. wear pants. That is pretty <laughs> provocative. <laughs> it was very provocative. <laughs> but there was a, GP, a JP there, a junior prosecutor, who um, <coughs> she liked the way I handled myself because I didn't let him fluster me. I stuck to my story. My story stayed consistent. I was stoic. And um, because I had to separate my emotions from everything because of everything I'd been through in the past. I had gotten to the point where it was like, nope, this happened and this guy's not getting away with it. Was he convicted? He was. Good. He had 18 months hard labor at Leavenworth Penitentiary. Now, he did not rape me, technically. He, he, he did not enter me with you. his penis. Yeah, but it's right. still... Uh, I know, yeah. but it was rape yeah. still. Yeah. But it was assault and attempted rape that he was charged with and... Um, he got 18 months hard labor at Leavenworth, and he had to pay a fine every month from his military salary, and at the end of his term, he was dishonorably discharged mm. from the military. So... Had he, did anyone else come forward that he had done this to anyone else? No. So in January was the trial. In February, he was sent away, and um, in March, I got a letter from someone from a southern town, I think he was from Mississippi, I'm not sure, and uh, with his last name and the scrawling handwriting, and I let it sit on my dresser for like two weeks. I was terrified to open it because I was just starting to get over it. And um, it was from his mother, apologizing on behalf of their family and telling me that he was not raised that way and thanking me for doing what I had to do and telling me that her son was getting the help that he needed. He was an alcoholic and he was taking anger management. And so apparently he was turning his life around and good for him. You know, I, I would wish that for him. Oh uh, yeah, I wish that for everyone that. And I did get an apology letter from him. Okay. Um, about when a he month was doing later. his steps probably. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But the JP, uh, her name was Pat. She approached me after the trial and said, hey, I like how you handled yourself. Would you be interested in starting a rape prevention class on this base with me? There was no rape prevention. I mean, women were still basically pretty much new into a lot of the jobs on this base. And um, like I said, they basically told you when you went in, look, so there was basically 14 guys to one girl on that base. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the guys, um, felt entitled. I actually had a, a guy come up to me at the NCO club one night and, sit, and drunk and said, you owe it to me and 13 other guys in this room to go out with us. And I said, I owe you nothing. But anyway, we started rape prevention on that base and the rape statistics went way down. 
because basically the the fact in life that I've had to learn is you cannot react until someone acts. And so if you're not prepared with your reaction, you're processing it as soon as they act. And in that time of your processing, you remain a victim. So what we did was um, we found somebody who was a black belt on that base. We set up self-defense classes and we encouraged women to take self-defense. We had a pamphlet that we gave out to every woman who was coming in. We gave them the rape prevention information instead of some guy saying, hey, if a guy does this, do this, and maybe, you know, if you live, you know, I mean, it was so stupid. So women started nurturing women, and we took groups of women out at night and said, okay, there's a group of trees over there. You have to walk from here to here. You're working, because sometimes you had to work different shifts in the military, and not everybody had a car on the base, so you had to walk. And so we taught the buddy system, and we taught where are your danger points? If somebody comes out from there, what would you do? And just that proactive thinking helped women's reaction time. If your brain triggers right away, your body follows. Mm. If your brain's not functioning, your body's just sitting there waiting on the brain to tell it what to do. Mm. So we changed that for women. It, it is huge. I, I, one of my favorite podcasts uh, is called My Favorite Murder. Mm-hmm. And it's all about serial killers and serial rapists and things. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that that show has done for me is heighten my awareness in a lot of situations that I think I was more blithe about before. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and good that you used the word blithe. Oh. We don't hear that word very often. <laughs> my dictionary would thank you. Ah, yes. Shout out dictionary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, um, <coughs> so I, it, it is, I, you make such a great point about that in that, if you have already thought about it, and don't, you know, don't sit there and be like, oh my God, the world's going to end and everything's right, right. going to fall on my head. But there's something to be said about preparation. There is. Because if someone else has an opportunity and they meet your preparation, it's going to go a lot differently. It is. Just like in life and the good things when preparation meets opportunity. Mm-hmm. But it can be also... <laughs> right. Well, yeah. and people who are out to do something like that have already had a they already have a plan yeah most of the time sometimes it's instant but catching catching someone unaware that's part of your plan i was looking up it's hard to find statistics on things when it comes to the military yeah when at least when you google it there may be internal memos or whatever but um that i find fascinating yeah it's a lot of shush 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 that's right and uh which is concerning and it's uh, it is concerning yeah but the statistic one of the statistics yeah there's my those are my invisalign is throwing <laughs> me up it. i understood you suckering succotash <laughs> suffering succotash there we go uh <laughs> one of the statistics thank you one of the statistics i've got to learn to talk with these things in um is that uh, it was from 2011, which, of course, is a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And in that result, it said uh, 34%, uh, 36% uh, of rape report and over 80% of harassment. Mm-hmm. Now, let's fast forward 10 years. My guess is higher. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was harassed, too. Oh, yeah. It's like everybody always says, what would you change in your life? And looking back at this stage, there's only one thing that I would change. And I would not break my finger in 2015. That changed the use of my hand, which changed my life. 
but everything else has formed me and shaped me and made me who I am. And if it wouldn't have been me, it would have been someone else. And so when I think about things like that, it's not like I'm the scapegoat, but heaven forbid it would have been one of my little sisters that was targeted by my stepfather. Heaven forbid it would have been some other woman who actually would have been killed by the guy that attacked me before I went into the military. Heaven forbid that it would have been another woman who was actually raped, sodomized, perhaps even murdered in her room that night, mm -hmm. who was not prepared to act like I was. I had years of counseling and releasing the victim and thinking about what had happened to me and processing what had happened to me. He had no way of knowing that he went into exactly the right room. He also had rage. I did. And the rage was basically not going to happen to me again. And if I die in the, in the doing of it, so be it. I mean, I was at that point where it was like, I am not going to quietly let this happen to me again. And I found my voice in that scream that came from, that primal scream that came out of me was my hell no scream. The mountain lion. Yeah. And, Is that and, what they said? A mountain lion, it sounded yeah, like? Yeah, it sounded like a mountain lion. <laughs> but um, I'll tell you what, it changed my life. Finally, demanding justice for myself changed my life. And so how could I take that back? I totally understand that. Yeah. We are an amalgamation of every experience right. that we have had. Um, and again, survivor. <clears throat> survivor is That's right. the key word. And I think that um, the people who try to hurt others, they are relying on you not to say anything. Right. They're relying on their intimidation and their bullying for you to be silenced. Right and for them to be able to continue to do what they do. And I think the biggest thing is to say, I believe you. Mm -hmm. And if all of us are who are in support and mm -hmm. understanding continue that, I believe you, I'm here for you, I have your back, that hopefully these things will start coming more and more to the light and in that they will stop happening. There's strength and unity too. You know, Absolutely. everyone's like, oh, oh, one person speaks out, so suddenly 12 people speak out. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's how it works. The first person is the bravest person. The other people step up behind that person and shore that first person's bravery they're up. They're all still brave. Right, but I mean, they're <laughs> the, they, they are the one who has to right. step forward while they're still afraid. Dr. Ford got death threats. <clears throat> I know death threats I know. for saying this happened to me, which again, I don't know what, in politic is a whole other beast and perhaps the military is as well. I was um, threatened. Yeah, and it, to me, I think, my God, if your first reaction to someone saying, I was hurt, this happened to me, is for you to threaten their life or to silence them, would, that's some serious soul searching that person right. needs to be it shows. Doing. It shows the social microcosm of whatever group that you're in. So say the military is like this unit that has its own rules, everything. I mean, they have different rules than the rest of, of society right. uh, for their punishments, for how they're allowed to treat yeah. the people. I mean, I would say that we were abused in basic training. You know what I mean? I mean, they there was take away your identity in the right, military. They break you down right. as a singular person sure. and then they build you back up as something that is a unit. Uh, yeah. The hive. 
Right, but it's necessary in the military yes. because you have to have one another's back. Yeah. But if you turn against somebody who's a part of that hive, the whole hive turns against you. Mm. And um, it's like revenge of the body snatchers, you know, no thumbs. I'm coming after you. But um, I think that what was shocking to me was I was innocently sleeping in my bed, awakened by this man standing over me, threatening me. And when I fought back, when I lashed back and pressed charges, the other people who were part of his hive and their tightly knit security police officer group, I, I would just be eating at a restaurant and they would come up to my table and say, what are you going to do to me if I do this? You know, I is was afraid to walk to my car. Is it was not, a threat. So is that not a crime? <laughs> I mean, you would think, but all I wanted to do was get away from yeah, them. Yeah, I understand. But in, in retrospect. Oh, hell yeah. That's a crime. Is it was it horrific. Yeah. I was afraid to walk from the restaurant to my car. Yeah. And asked someone to walk me out because. And they rely on that fear exactly. to keep you quiet. Well, and I, I learned with my stepfather that fear is like one of the best. Fear and love are the two best controllers that we have. And um, I really, I'm glad that I stood up for myself, and I'm sad that women turned against me, too, which was very sad to me. Like, I had asked for it somehow. Mm -hmm. And I found out later that in his journey down the hall, turning knobs, he actually had entered, opened another door that was unlocked, and there were two women in there who squealed. He shut the door, left the dorm room. They got up, locked their door thinking that he was a boyfriend of somebody on the floor and he just which is a no-no by the way well no well you were allowed to do you that were to a certain yeah there I was dated a, curfew. a guy in the army and you were not allowed to come into the barrack after yeah. like seven there's a curfew yeah. yeah but anyway um Certainly not the middle of he the night. popped the lock again and came back in and went the other way down the hall and mine was the second door ah so if they would have sounded the alarm he never would have entered my room i know your belief system because we have been friends for a while now. Um, and I think about these moments. So in that, when you were able to stand up to him and fight back and the rage of the little you and the 14 year old you and the 20 year old you and all these yous in unison fighting back, the gift that that asshole gave you is extraordinary. It is extraordinary. He helped me find myself which is such a twisty, weird way to look at things. And I'm sure people listening, some are like, I'm sorry, <laughs> what? Yeah. But, but in yeah. my, I mean, God forbid any ill befall anybody. <clears throat> mm -hmm. I know. But there are certain moments. I mean, I have my own history with mm -hmm. things where, yeah. you know, I've spoken about it a little bit. Mm -hmm. The relationship was less than perfect. Right. And I remember there was this moment as a, a you know a twenty year old at my friend's house, and her mother, who I adored, um, was making lunch, and she was she was chopping up fruit, but with this extraordinary knife, and uh, <laughs> I said, "My gosh, Sandy, that's a large knife." You know, we were all just joking, having a fun day, and without thinking, she just was trying to be funny. She wheeled around with that knife at me and went, "La, well." That moment Triggered. held a knife to my throat as mm -hmm. a child. And uh, that was, you know, uh, in that moment, my little me, who in the 11-year-old moment did not react because I was defiant with it because that was survival, mm -hmm. 
but the 20 year old me that was out of that immediate danger that was now with this other person fucking just I bet you exploded yeah I went into total hysterics crying such an inappropriate response to what had just happened in that moment because it wasn't that (coughs) response it was a response that would have been appropriate at 11 Mm -hmm. and thank god my Sandy is a, a therapist. She recognized, I, and what she was going so on. she she saw me react this way and went, "Oh my god!" and uh, took me, and you know, took me out of the house, and talked me off the ledge. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was totally hysterical. You don't know how bad the bottle is shaken until the cap comes off. It's so true. All and that pressure builds. I had builds. referenced that moment from childhood blithely. Again, there's that word, but that would be the best word for it. Mm-hmm. Where I would say. Oh, yeah, this happened to me, and you're kind of like, uh. And you're like, oh, yeah, I've worked it out. I've gone to therapy, you know, whatever. But no. It's, there's a primal there's a response. genie in the bottle yeah. that you cannot put back in. And But once that came out of me, it was the most, the fact that Sandy had done that was such a gift. It because is. it released that thing Depression. that I had obviously been carrying. The mento so, hit the soda. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I'm airing a lot of laundry here, but I know, but you know, so am I. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, I I get it, and of course, there's a lot going on in the news right now. It's gonna be triggering yes. the hell out of lots of people. Um, well, I shared my story uh, I the other day on Facebook uh, in solidarity with her. Yeah, and I was surprised um, at some of the responses that I got. There, I actually removed a friend because of her response. What was the response? Well, I'm sorry that happened to you, but I honestly think that this woman is a liar and a detention getter is after money. And uh, I just went, you know what? We're done here. Because women need to stand up for other women. It is hard as hell to face a unified group as one sole person against that whole group. And believe me, Politics is like the military. They are a tribunal. And when you're coming up against them, you're coming up against a club. And they want to wield that club and just beat the crap out of you with it. And so her bravery, you know, people are like, well, some guy said on my thing, if if she's lying, I hope you'll post an entirely different post. And which kind of surprised me. Because he kept saying, well, there's all these victims, victims. He must have used the word victim six times in his response. And I said to him, look, it's not my job to judge anyone else for what they do. And while some people, I'm sure, do lie about stuff like that, it is not my job to stand up and point a finger at them. They, they're doing it for their own reasons and... I'm doing this for my own reasons, and by the way, I'm not a victim, I'm a survivor. And I kept saying, and thank you for being courteous, and thank you for being courteous, because that whole thread, if I would have responded the wrong way, all these people who were offering their sympathy to me, which is what I was after, but I understand that a lot of them know me and love me, um, and hate that that happened to me, they would have gone after him in a swarm if I would have got upset with him. So I kept it very civil, very respectful, and then so did he. And at the end, he said, you're right. You are a survivor, and I'm so proud of people like you for standing up. I mean, so I kind of turned his thread around a little bit, but 
there was a few that I deleted because I knew the hive was going to go after them. The thing that strikes me as concerning and uh, astronomically bizarre <laughs> is every, this is this again not hyperbole. Every woman I know has been either assaulted, raped, uh, molested, catcalled grabbed inappropriately groped at a party mm -hmm. or in a bar just walking through the bar i mean <coughs> I uh childhood weirdness from yeah. babysitters uh, Neighbors, friends of yeah. brothers or brothers and oh you my know God, like yeah whatever every single one there is not one that has not had something mm -hmm. So weird is this, like, oh, that couldn't have happened. Like, really? The chances are it happened because the chances are it's happened to everyone. Right. I was upset Boys when too. people I mean, believed me and then said they didn't believe her. It's like, then why do you believe me? Right, right, right. Yeah, and, and it happens to boys, too, which I oh think. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, and men as well. And that is, talk about not reporting it. If you think the women don't report, guess what? <laughs> yeah. I have a friend that was molested, um... Mm -hmm by, I'm not sure if it was a preacher or teacher, but um, suppressed it for years and uh, finally wrote about it. And the molester is suing him for $750,000. For libel. Mm -hmm. So okay. he's going after, he's, come, he's fighting back. Look at what happens when you finally come forward. If someone has, has acquired more power than you in the interim, you run the risk of being run over because you can't right. fight back. You know, the way our legal system works is ridiculous. You know, you have to pay so much money just to defend yourself. I mean, I'm glad that it happened to me while I was in the military where they, I had somebody on my behalf yeah. stepping up. I know. went to my uncle's memorial this weekend and mm -hmm. I stayed with a lovely family and the, the woman um, talked about her experience uh and how <coughs> to file restraining orders it's a hundred dollars a pop or what depending on your state probably or your city or county but and the, the the person that is being uh targeted is the one that has to pay right. if you're a, and she happened to be a single mom with kids to feed and all that and she had to keep reapplying these restraining orders right. at her cost detriment it's crazy. And not everybody has the money to do that. No. You know, I mean, it is, mm -mm. it's a mess. It is a mess. And all I can hope is that we stop and we listen. At the very least, just listen. Mm -hmm. Listen, take out, partisanship has no business to be even, be. it's not a left, right, blue, red. Partisanship has run its course. We don't need parties anymore. No, and it's, it, it has no place. If, yeah. a per, if a man and woman, if a man has hurt a woman, if a man has hurt a man, if a woman has hurt a man, you know, whatever, it, it is that that is the issue. Right, the action, yeah. The action is the issue. <clears throat> Great. Oh, it makes me, makes me sad. Yeah, I actually had a <coughs> a friend of mine posted something um, while we were out on tour um, a few weeks ago playing in Taos, and I gave her my sympathy on the post, and she instantly, she must have recognized that I got it. She instantly private messaged me, and we've had a lot of conversations about it. But, I mean, I feel like... Some of us are blessed to be survivors. Some are not so lucky. Like sure. that poor girl on the golf course playing golf or the girl who was jogging or right. Jimmy Holloway's um, 
cousin, Natalie Holloway, who was murdered. I mean, some don't make it through. And those of us that do, there's a reason that we do. So that we can be a voice, and we can stand up and say, I will stand with you. I will believe you. I will get your back. Because it's a lonely, lonely thing to stand up against it's terrifying too. It is. I was scared to death. Yeah. You know, that's I, right. at first I wasn't scared because I knew what had happened. But then as I started getting the repercussions and the slap back from the community, how dare I go after one of their own or one of the phalanx, you know, that was um, united around him. <clears throat> it was really, really Very. hard to stand alone. That's phalanx, a big word. That's a big word. I like I big like words. <laughs> Webster. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad that I'm married to someone who you have a lovely husband. I do a beautiful, loving, wonderful so man. So thankful, thankful to have him. And I'm even posting it. I, the other day, I started it and I deleted it. And I started it and I deleted it. And I thought, I don't want my family to be uncomfortable. I don't want my friends to be uncomfortable. And by family, I meant Ren or his parents or whomever. You know. Um, I have respect for other people who are empathetic like me, and it might hurt them to relive that mm. through me. So by the time Ren got downstairs, I was crying, and he instantly came in. And he's like, what's wrong? And I said, I don't want to hurt you by posting this. He goes, you're not hurting me. You're a badass, and I'm behind you. And, I mean, how nice to have somebody have my back like that. I'm really blessed. Yeah, I mean, I think about it just now, talking about my own childhood, I have this instantaneous feeling like, oh God, don't say this, Susan, don't say it, don't say it, and then it's coming out of my mouth. Because, it's you know, your truth. My parents are still alive, and I, I think to myself, it's inappropriate to talk about that, but why? It's my story. It, it mm -hmm. happened to me, and and by not talking about it, it feeds into that, same river of shame yep. and 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 cover up and quietness and all that stuff. My mother's a different person now than she was, you know. Mm -hmm. And again, forgiveness. We have For to forgive to keep well, the relationship. Well, we don't have to, but if it, we want the relationship, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah, because there are all kinds of relationships. There are right. bad and good, you know, whatever, yeah. you know. There are dark and light. Um, but for me, it. it when I talk about stuff like that, it is, there's that moment of like, oh God, you know, do Hesitation. I say this out yep. loud? <clears throat> I know. Because it's, it's applying blame. My parents blame. don't even listen to this. It's <laughs> applying blame towards someone else. I mean, right. I, I don't know if any of my family members will listen to this. I probably won't make a big deal out of it. But I remember uh, during the Me Too thing that was going on and I posted about my stepfather, um, and I got slapped back from my sisters. Yeah. Because family shame needs to stay quiet. Right. <laughs> Systematically I, I, throughout I lost history. half of one side of the roof of my mouth uh, from the fork that I had in my mouth when he hit me. So a big chunk of the roof of my mouth from the back of my front teeth to my soft palate was gone. Woo. It just flew up. It was just dug out of my roof oh, of my mouth. Oh, God. That's hard to hear. And so... Uh, for years now, a lot of it has grown back, like even when, you know, just getting a tooth pulled, the, the skin covers over some of it. But for many years, if I ate something, it went through the membrane and up into my sinuses. I mean, I had problems. I couldn't speak properly. I could not sing. Yeah. So I had to relearn 
how to speak and how to sing. And one of the beautiful things that came out of it was I became very hyper aware of enunciation. And years later, I was a choir teacher at a church and I was the, the one that the parents asked if I would help their kids who were having trouble with enunciation. I helped them. The gift born out of a traumatic event. Out of a need. I'm very, and, th- and it helps my writing. Well, being, having experienced these things, we become more empathic. Right. When you have suffered your own trauma, you become empathic. And it's, sometimes you buck against it. It's not right. 100% all across the board, but to to be to to hold the pain of the world because mm-hmm. you've held your own pain. Right. Tell the fine people how to find your music. Well, um, you can find us at um, therenfries. dot com and R E F R E N F R E E Renfree, not rent free, just Renfree. And we're on Facebook and um, I'll put links, of course, yeah. on Hey Human Podcast. And um, just, I mean, we're on, we're all over the place. We have a business called A Ren. Creative. That's a r e n creative dot com, and we do artist services. We Ren is a producer who studied under Don Dorsey, who's the head engineer at Disney. I mean, he's been trained. He actually um, was an intern on uh, Stevie Wonder's Life of Plants awesome. record, and Kenny Loggins' uh, is it Keep the Fire? And um, you're also web designers. He's a web designer. Yeah, yes. Ren designed the HeyHumanPodcast.com website, and it's wonderful. I'm a photographer, and we're both graphic designers, and we just like to work with artists and help them. I mean, we toured for seven years with Two Bit and made money. Two Bit Palomino. Two Bit Palomino was um, a trio that we were a part of in Texas, and we were Vocal Group of the Year twice in the Texas Music Awards, which was another win for me getting my voice back. And I was nominated for Female Vocalist of the Year in uh, 2011, which I didn't win it, but it was an honor at 52 to be, you know, nominated And we're going to go on tour together. Yes, we are. We're going to do some fun stuff. I can't wait. Yeah, we need to have a little pile about that. that. That's right. Taking over the world. We're going to call it um, a (laughs) nash-up. Andy, thank you for telling us your experience. (laughs) And I hope that um, women who need to talk about it will do something. I actually had a uh, young artist approach me privately who had never told her story. Um, She PM'd me on Facebook and said, wow, you know, you're making me think that I need to find the courage. And so she is now talking to me about doing something like soldier songs where Mm -hmm. we go around and help women write their stories through song. Wonderful. So I love it. That would be awesome to do. Yeah. I, I want to help people. That's the whole purpose of being a survivor. Iron I would even iron. go further as to say it's the whole purpose of being a human being. Amen. Hey, human. Hey, human. Help <laughs> other people. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> I love you. Love you, too. Bye, everybody. Bye, y'all.